Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans across the wide and wonderful internet. Michael Shibley here with another wonderful edition of Modern Day Gladiators. Hope you guys have been having a great week. So far, we've got plenty of sports action. Of course, college football records being set in the NFL. Baseball action and a whole big fracas that happens at the end of the UFC 229 pay-per-view. We will break all of that down and give you my opinions and all that stuff. Big show packed with wonderful stuff as always. But first, let's take care of some of the business at hand. Again, you are listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And again, you can like, subscribe, share, listen to it any way that you can. And that's, of course, across Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, you can also hit us up at stagedivermedia.com, and there you can go out and you can listen. There's a nice media player that you can listen to while you're doing other stuff. You can listen to all the other great podcasts there that we've got, including Haffel, J&B's DLC, which I will be a guest on in the coming weeks. And, of course, you've got Deadbeat Radio, People in My Neighborhood, Scruffy Little Podcast, all that great stuff. So check all of that out and make sure that you are going to be there for that. And another quick promo here, I myself, Michael Shibley, your glorious host here of Modern Day Gladiators, will be at the Steam Carnival in Knoxville, and that's just doing a bunch of science and different fair things going on at the Muse Knoxville, and that is happening this coming Saturday, October the 13th. So check that out. I'm going to be there doing some of the robot battles with the uh, Knox Makers doing their Kill Switch uh, robot battles. I will be the ring announcer and doing play-by-play there. So hopefully you guys will check that out. If you're in Knoxville, come to uh, the Steam Carnival there at the Muse Knoxville. And that's going to be great. That's from, I believe, 10 to 4, again, on Saturday, October the 13th. So check that out. It is free to the public. So hopefully see you guys there. Love to meet some of my fans. If you guys have listened to the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So love to hear you guys check that out. But back to all the other podcast stuff as well. Again, please rate, subscribe, share, all the other great stuff that you guys do. We love all the input that you have. And of course, comment. And you can check in with me, Michael Shibley, at Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. You can check that out as well, where we post live videos and recaps of Tennessee stuff and other breaking news that I just want to get my voice out and talk about immediately. So you can check that stuff out there as well. And of course, you can also comment at stagediverradio at gmail.com. You can check that out. And of course, you can always call the hotline at 865-888-0109, where you can call and leave comments and funny stuff. You want to interact with me, we want to hear from you. I want to make this the most interactive podcast we possibly can, because I love you guys, and I appreciate you guys hanging with me as I talk about all this great stuff going on in the world of sports. Now that that's all out of the way, let's break down some of the great stuff happening this week. Of course, in college football, we always got to start with that here in the midst of the college football season. The big lesson that we're learning, it's still that the SEC, top to bottom, still on top of the college football world. Of course, Alabama and Georgia leading the way, still look like the top two teams in the conference, especially as LSU finally came down to earth a little bit as they lose to the Florida Gators as uh, Barrow, the quarterback, finally throws his first two interceptions of the season. And uh, Florida still playing that great defense. And I don't know why people 
got confused about this when Florida lost to Kentucky because, again, Kentucky still think is a really good team even though they lost at Texas A&M. I called them to lose, though. I mean, Texas A&M is a tough place to play, especially for a team like Kentucky who doesn't travel there on a regular basis. But Dan Mullen can coach. Mississippi State was a number one team a couple of years ago. He had them at number one with Dak Prescott there at quarterback. So you know he's got these players. He's been coaching these guys up because, again, this was a 4-8 and eight team last season, just like Tennessee. But you can see the talent that's still there, and he's making the best of it and getting these guys to play. I mean, they've beaten LSU. They, of course, beat the crap out of Tennessee. They've been doing very well for themselves and some surprising results. We'll see... As they play, you know, they've got the cocktail party. It's not called the cocktail party anymore. They've got to play Georgia in Jacksonville, so they've got that game coming up. We'll see how the season goes. But Dan Mullen, still a pretty darn good coach. And that's why you could see why Tennessee went after Dan Mullen to start with when they were looking for their uh, next football coach. Auburn losing to Mississippi State, who, of course, dropped a couple of games to Kentucky and Florida in the Dan Mullen Bowl last week. And you got to see what's going on with Auburn. They're having issues on offense. Jared Stenham, supposed to maybe be a dark horse Heisman guy. He just has not looked great there in the offense. Again, I really think the Gus Malzahn offense is really made for a guy who can run a little bit more than Stenham can. But I mean, he's still a really, really good quarterback. He can throw that ball really well. So that's what's kind of confusing a lot of people. I thought Auburn was going to be a lot better than this. I mean, I had them beating Mississippi State. I had them beating LSU earlier in the season as well. So we're just going to have to kind of see how that was. It really wasn't a good uh, good result for ranked SEC teams on the road as LSU, Auburn, and Kentucky all lost. Alabama, of course, the outlier as they are just killing people. I mean, they beat the tar to Arkansas, even though Arkansas scored 31 points there, got that last touchdown at the end to kind of kill the line for a lot of people, including yours truly who bet on Alabama. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, but still Alabama by far the best team. Looks like Georgia got got healthy and looked a lot better against Vanderbilt. Of course, they've got a big matchup coming up against LSU this week in Baton Rouge, so you got to look out for that. We'll see where LSU's head is. Uh, their heads are after losing to uh, losing to Florida, of course, over the weekend as well. Meanwhile, you look at some of the other stuff going on in the college football world. Notre Dame, they might just be pretty good. I mean, they went into Virginia Tech, a very hostile environment. Enter Sandman was blasting, Lane Stadium going crazy, as always. And Notre Dame ran them out there uh, in the fourth quarter. Ian Book... Moving to him at quarterback has been great because he can really throw the ball. Yeah, Winbush was more of a runner and you had to worry about him running the ball, but you didn't have to worry about him passing so they could stack the line and force him to try and beat them with his arm. He did make some great passes against Michigan, but that's not a consistent thing that he was able to do. So you've got Ian Book in there, but then you also have Dexter Williams, who was suspended for the first few games of the season at running back. He has been running all over the place in these games that he has come back, which has been very impressive. Now again, Notre Dame, they've got Navy, Northwestern, you've got Syracuse. USC, of course, is the real one that you got to look for, I think, that they have left on their schedule. But as long as they, if they go undefeated, they're going to be in the playoff, whether you like it or not. And I know last week I was questioning how good they really would be when they stack up against some of these other teams. Unless they play Alabama in the one versus four matchup, I think Notre Dame could at least get to the final. 
of the college football playoff. They're looking a lot better than I thought they were a week ago. So we'll see again how the season goes. And of course, they can always lose. We've seen crazy stuff happen across the landscape of college football. That's what makes college football so much fun to watch is all the crazy stuff that happens there. But Notre Dame's looking, sitting pretty. They're going to be by far favored the rest of the way in all of their games as they go along. So you might have to pay attention more to Notre Dame here as the season goes. We're past the halfway point of the season now, which it sucks. It always sucks in college football. We wait so long for the season, and just like that, we're halfway through it already. Man, that's tough to get through, but enjoy it while you can, guys. It's always fun. I love talking college football with everybody, and of course we'll break down all the wonderful bowl games when that comes up uh, later in the year. Also, good news for a traditional program, Texas now might actually be back. We've been trying to proclaim when is Texas coming back. We've said they came back a couple years ago. That wasn't the case. And they lost to Maryland again to open the season, which was another just head-scratcher when you think about it. But they went out and they scored a whole bunch of points to beat Oklahoma. They had to survive. Oklahoma came all the way back to tie them, but then Texas gets the win right at the end with the field goal. Uh, And, of course, the defense for Oklahoma was so bad that uh, Oklahoma fired Mike Stoops, which had to be awkward uh, for Lincoln Riley to have to let Bob Stoops know, the former Oklahoma coach, that he's firing his brother. Uh, But that's the way it goes sometimes. But Texas, after that, they're looking like a really big contender there in the Big 12. I don't know about a playoff contender. We'll see how the Big 12 goes. But Oklahoma losing was almost a disaster for the Big 12 and the chances of maybe them getting a representative into the college football playoff again because the only undefeated team you've got left in the Big 12 right now is West Virginia. And they, here's how their other six games are going uh, if you're West Virginia. At Iowa State, Baylor, and then November goes at Texas, TCU, at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, So not an easy road to hoe. And then if they're one of the top two teams, they're playing in the Big 12 championship game as well. Oklahoma, their only chance might be at this point. And again, we'll see how this college football season goes. But if they get to face Texas again in the Big 12 championship game, both teams with one loss, and then Oklahoma just blows Texas out to avenge what happened earlier in the season, that would be Oklahoma's best shot at this point. Uh, and then now some questions is are we've got some of these undefeated teams left. Do we start to take any of these teams seriously? We've got Colorado out of the Pac-12. They're the only undefeated team left out of the Pac-12 and probably the Pac-12's best chance to get into a playoff at this point because now the fact that Auburn lost to Mississippi State, uh, that kind of hinders the uh, just look and luster of that loss that Washington had as a really great loss uh, to open the season. So the fact that Washington has stumbled, that hurts them. Uh, Stanford not looking great at all anymore. So it's a mess out in the Pac-12. They've got to hitch their wagon to Colorado. And uh, Colorado, we're going to see what's going to happen with Colorado uh, coming up the next two weeks at USC at Washington. If they can somehow come out of those two games with a win, then we'll start to have to take Colorado seriously. NC State out of the ACC, they're still undefeated. Of course, a big 
block to them, which also hurts West Virginia's case is the fact that NC State and West Virginia did not play a few weeks ago due to the game being canceled because of Hurricane Florence. But then they've got ahead in uh, two weeks. They are at Clemson in the old textile bowl there. So that game will prove a lot to see where NC State is as a true contender. Uh, Meanwhile, you look at the American Athletic Conference. They got three undefeated teams right now. Of course, Central Florida gets all the publicity, but Cincinnati's undefeated and South Florida is undefeated as well. And the great thing is, in November, these guys all play each other. UCF, they have to finish uh, home with Cincinnati and then at South Florida. So they've got those two tough games. Cincinnati, of course, playing at UCF. Uh, and then, of course, they've got uh, uh, Central Florida as well. So you've got all that fun stuff going on in November and USF at Cincinnati November 10th. And then again, they host Central Florida to end the season. So all these teams, to really give any type of an outside chance for any one of them to get maybe a dark horse chance into the college football playoff or even be considered, they all have to keep winning. They all, the best case scenario for them is to all be undefeated once they start playing each other at the end of November. That's the big thing to look for. I think UCF, again, is the best team out of them. If they can go undefeated and we see what happens with the rest of the college football world, I mean, I'd love to see them in. If they had an 18 playoff, they would have been in last year. They would probably be in this year as well if they finished undefeated. That's why I want eight teams. But again, we can argue about that uh, until the cows come home. Not going to happen for a while, but I really would love to see that. Meanwhile, on a tough note, again, you look at some traditional programs going through coaching changes and things. Nebraska 0-5 for the first time since 1945, and UCLA 0-5 for the first time since 1943. It is amazing what has happened to those programs going through that. Again, especially with Nebraska, I still think if they had been able to play Akron to open the year, I think they might not have lost maybe to Colorado. Of course, we see Colorado's undefeated, maybe some of these other losses. But again, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes for them. So I still think, you know, Scott Frost and Chip Kelly are going to get things done at these schools. It just might take a little longer than people were hoping for. Meanwhile, we got some big games with playoff implications coming up this week in college football. Uh, The first one being here out in the Pac-12. This is definitely an elimination game, really. Washington at Oregon. Uh, The 7th-ranked Huskies traveling to Eugene to play the 17th-ranked Ducks. So we'll see. One of those teams will still have a very big outside chance of getting into the playoff. The other one probably done with playoff hopes. Anyway, a big one in the Big Ten as Wisconsin travels to Michigan. The 15th-ranked Badgers traveling to the big house to face the number 12th-ranked Wolverines. The big thing for me in this one's going to be, is Shea Patterson for real as a big game college quarterback because when he faced really tough competition when he was at Ole Miss he had some problems in that one so we'll see and again the biggest game that Michigan has had so far this season was against Notre Dame and we saw that he just didn't look crisp in that one we'll see is now he's had some of this uh the team he's had him for five games now and we'll see how this goes uh as the season has progressed Uh, But this is a big test. Both of these teams need a win to keep outside uh, playoff chances alive there. A big one in the SEC, of course, is Georgia at LSU. The second-ranked Georgia Bulldogs facing the 15th-ranked Tigers as they drop down after losing to Florida. Georgia, they got to keep winning. I mean, 
they're still probably the best team in the SEC East by far, but they've just got to keep that profile up because depending on how the season goes, they need to finish the regular season undefeated because if they play Alabama and lose, they still want to be able to have a great argument that they still belong in this college football playoff despite having one loss. So we'll see how that all goes for the Georgia Bulldogs. And of course, I'll have all my picks for the big games on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. You can check out that video when it comes up later this week. And of course, I mentioned this one out in the Pac-12, Colorado at USC. Is Colorado for real? Real? That's going to be the first big test for them. Meanwhile, my beloved Tennessee Vols are back after a bye week. Of course, we just lost uh, Flowers, one of the defensive backs, to a broken collarbone. That's going to be a big test for this young Tennessee secondary. Stenham, I still think is a really good passer, and I think he can have his way almost. People are really thinking, oh, it's a noon kickoff, so it starts at 11 o'clock there in Auburn. It's a noon kickoff on the SEC network. Tennessee might have a shot coming off a bye, and I do think Tennessee has a shot, but man, that Auburn defensive line is still something to behold. They are still an incredible defensive line, and we have seen the problems our offensive line has had. We'll see how the bye week has helped them, and I just don't know if our offense is going to be able to score enough points, really, to hang with Auburn, because I think Stenham is going to have a much better game than, obviously, he had against Mississippi State with the young secondary that Tennessee has. So I do like Auburn to get the win, but I don't want to just crush the hopes of Tennessee fans, because after this Auburn game... It's number one ranked Alabama coming to Neyland Stadium. Ugh. But we'll talk more about that, of course, next week. So that's going to wrap up all the college football coverage for this one. Let's go to something crazy. This is what happens when you... This this happened, this fracas at the end of UFC 229. So crazy. That's what pushed uh, postseason baseball and uh, record-breaking stuff from Drew Brees in the NFL into the next segment. But... Man, for those of you who don't know, uh, overshadowing really uh, the the Russian Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. I think I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I didn't. His really dominant fourth round submission victory over the um, the annoying, really and bombastic uh, Conor McGregor, who of course great dresser, but man, he says some things that are annoying. Um, but really dominated Conor McGregor throughout the fight was the fracas that happened afterward. Khabib uh, leapt over the octagon fence right after the win and got into a physical altercation against one of McGregor's cornermen. Uh, McGregor punched one of Khabib's teammates after he entered into the octagon and all this kind of stuff. It was just just a fracas and a Pier 6 brawl, as they like to call it, just happening there. And it was, it was a mess, is a black eye for the UFC and all these different things. And again, it really overshadowed, you know, Khabib's win, dominating win over Conor McGregor. But again, as someone who has watched way too much professional wrestling over the course of his life and watched all these Mike Tyson fights and all the other things that have happened in the world of boxing, part of me just thinks this is all just a work, if to use a pro wrestling term. A work is it's... It's not completely predetermined, but some of the things that happen afterwards, they suggest maybe go about all this. So despite all the bluster about, you know, holding up money from Habib and McGregor, suspensions from the Nevada State Athletic Commission, 
you know, deportation for both guys, or are they going to be able to get work visas to fight again in the United States? Despite all of that, it still seems to me to be a work when you really break it all down, or at least the end of it. The fight itself, I believe, was completely legit. Khabib dominated McGregor and was able to submit him and get the tap out in the fourth round. I still believe that was was real, but I think everything afterwards, I think, had a lot of sh- just work implications going on with it, because when you look at all of this, after the fracas, if there's a rematch, and I'm very sure there's going to be a rematch, it's going to draw a huge buy rate for the UFC. I mean, I'm thinking 3 million pay-per-view buys and a lot of crazy stuff. And as for Conor McGregor, all the crazy things he says and does, he's lost the last few fights here, including, of course, the boxing match to Mayweather. So a lot of the luster has been taken off of McGregor. We'll have to see what goes with him. If they have this rematch and Habib beats him again, it's going to happen a lot like what happened with Ronda Rousey, where she finally lost and ended up... And I love having Ronda Rousey in the WWE. And, of course, we'll talk about her coming up in the wrestling segment. But it looks like that might be where McGregor's ending as well. It was the same thing with Brock Lesnar. I mean, he lost a couple times, went back to the WWE with the diverticulitis and, of course, all the steroids. But that's a whole other point. Um... So we'll see where all of this goes. But it just, again, the fracas that happened at the end, to me, as someone who's watched way too much pro wrestling and all the boxing stuff, just seems like a work to me, everything after the final uh, bell rang. But we'll have to see how it all shapes out. And, of course, we'll talk all about that in Modern Day Gladiator episodes to come. But we're going to take a break. Thank you guys again for hanging out with us here on Modern Day Gladiators. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Shibbles and Bits and the World of Wrestling. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody, here to Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Another glorious episode going, and it's time, of course, to hit up all the other big news happening around the world of sports. Let's hit up Shibbles and Bits. We will start with the NFL because, again, when you break an all-time record like this, it deserves being mentioned. Congratulations to Drew Brees for becoming the NFL's all-time passing leader last night. Uh, of course, we record this on Tuesday every week, and he did it in dramatic fashion, hitting rookie Taquan Smith on a 62-yard touchdown pass there. and doing so, he passed Peyton Manning for the most passing yards in NFL history, Of course, he passed both Peyton Manning and Brett Favre uh, last night against the Redskins. Manning, of course, 71,940 yards. Brett Favre, 71,838 yards. The next one closest to him is Tom Brady with 67,418. And Drew Brees is two years younger than Tom Brady for what that's worth. So we'll, of course, have to see how this goes. But it looks like Drew Brees showing no signs of slowing down. A great game overall last night. For now, the NFL's all-time passing leader as he went 26 of 19 for 363 yards and three touchdowns as the Saints beat the Redskins 43-19. Congratulations again to Drew Brees. Again, you look at Drew Brees' career, he didn't get to start in high school until there was an injury to the previous starting quarterback. He wasn't very heavily recruited, ending up at Purdue where he was an All-American but again, not as highly recruited out of high school. He People questioned the height issue again in the NFL. So, I mean, and he was with the Chargers there for a while, but then they got rid of him and traded him to the Saints, where, of course, he's become a Hall of Fame quarterback. Won a Super Bowl for the Saints, for crying out loud. Meant a lot to that area. 
and it's great to see him there. The fans really loved it. Of course, all of his teammates wanting to come out and celebrate with him, which of course prompts the NFL to ruin all the fun and throw a penalty flag for 15 yards for taunting, because of course they do. The NFL getting a guy going 36 and a 35 pretty much with that. Just let them enjoy the moment. This is a Hall of Fame all-time moment. You know, they got the football, they wrapped it and got white gloves on the football because it's heading to Canton, and Drew was able to, you know, thank all the fans. It was a great moment to see. And, of course, again, getting in on a 62-yard touchdown pass is pretty damn awesome, if I do say so myself. So congratulations to Drew Brees, or they say in the thing, Drew Brees, you know, love having him. He's just a great ambassador to the NFL, but one of the most respected players in all of the world of football, and, of course, a first-ballot Hall of Famer. And congratulations to them. Just a great thing to see as he is, again, the NFL's all-time passing leader and not showing any signs of slowing down, at least for the next couple of years. So awesome, awesome to see. Other things in the NFL, it looks like Pat Mahomes might be the real deal as the Chiefs took care of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Beat them down a little bit more than I was expecting. That was a really surprising result For me, Mahomes finally did throw his first interceptions of the season, but still led the team to victory there as well. The Cowboys, they're a mess as always. I mean, for a team, the most valued sports franchise in the country, they've just been a mess for so long. It's just, you know, and again, we could blame a lot of people. I tend to blame the owner and general manager. I really think Jerry Jones will never do this, but you really think if he hired a general manager to do some of the decision-making responsibilities there. I think that would help a lot, but who knows how that's going to shape out. Uh, Looks like maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers might have righted the ship a little bit. It looks like Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown finally started hooking up, which was good for my fantasy team as well. So things might be going well with them. The Patriots, of course, looked great on Thursday, beating down the Indianapolis Colts. So we have all that going for us. So the NFL starting to get momentum here as we see who are really the contenders and who are the pretenders in the league. So that's always exciting to see. To baseball, where we got a lot of things to talk about with baseball. Of course, the NLB uh, postseason is in full swing as of this recording. The National League Championship Series is set as the Dodgers versus the Brewers. The Brewers, of course, sweeping and dominating the Colorado Rockies in three games. The Dodgers took four games to beat the Braves, but really looked good beating down the Braves. The Houston Astros took care of the Cleveland Indians with ease. Meanwhile, the Yankees and the Red Sox still playing each other as of this recording. But it looks like the Red Sox have been in control. Uh, They are up two games to one, including a 16-1 beatdown yesterday of the Yankees in Yankee Stadium in Game 3. Wow, that was amazing to see there. Uh, You don't see that in postseason play very often. So, But again, looks like my predictions have gone true so far. We'll see if the Red Sox are able to win the series. But when you look at how these... Uh, championship series are going to go. I still have the Brewers beating the Dodgers in six games to advance to the World Series, and I've got the Astros beating the Red Sox in seven games to get to the World Series. It's been my predictions. We're going to stick with that one. We'll see how it goes, and of course, we'll talk all about the World Series once that gets going. I love MLB postseason because, again, these games just keep happening. It's not like the NBA or the NHL where they take day-offs in between all the time. Nope. It's like, oh, here's game one. Tomorrow it's game two. And it's at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is great. I love that. That's awesome just to get these games done. I don't have to wait until the middle of the night to finish all of the playoff games. So that's really awesome to see. Uh, 
Going back to the Yankees and the Oakland A's, this is an interesting story that came out last week as well, is that there was a video that went viral. It came out. Of course, the Yankees beat the Oakland A's in their one-game wildcard playoff game uh, 7-2 to last week. But the big thing that came out of it was there was a video of a fan uh, just for no reason, mostly being a jerk, uh, decided to take a fully loaded beer, which I'm assuming was a minimum of $9 at Yankee Stadium, and just threw it on an Oakland A's fan who was just standing there in his reach. Uh, and the A's fan, uh, bless his heart, just kind of turned and looked confused about the whole thing. He showed a lot more temperament than most fans would. Something like that happens in Philly or somewhere else. Oh, there's some punches thrown at that point. But uh, the A's fan, he was found, uh, they went on a... a the A social media group, they found out who the guy was. Uh, he's John Spencer. He's an Oakland native who's living in New York now. Uh, they've decided they're going to send him new A's gear for the uh, stuff that was all doused in beer for no reason besides the guy being a jerk face. Uh, and they're going to host him at a game next year. Uh, apparently, the Yankee fan, uh, who's still a schmuck, uh, did kind of take the guy out to a club after the game, but still, that's behave. For serious, there's no reason to do that. The guy wasn't doing anything to you, and you're just like, oh, I'm going to take my, again, minimum $9 beer and just throw it on some random guy because he's wearing another team's jersey. That's not how we behave. Be an adult. You're an adult. Do that. Schmuck. Uh, Meanwhile, speaking of being an adult, uh, Major League Baseball uh, teamed with Ken Griffey Jr., who voiced and starred in this commercial that they've been airing, which has been great. This is one of the best commercials Major League Baseball has put out in a long time, uh, talking about you know rule, the unwritten rules and all this stuff, and talking about bat flips and letting them celebrate, and essentially saying at the end, let the kids play, which is just a shot at some of these old-school baseball people, including uh, Astros catcher, and he played for the Braves and the Yankees too, Brian McCann, who seemed to be like a guardian of the unwritten rules. I remember a couple years ago when he was still with the Braves and uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewers batter took a little too long uh, admiring a home run and then confronted him before he could even cross the plate. Again, you took it, talk about this. Baseball attendance is down again this season. It's been down, I think, 10% over the last five years, something around those numbers. And, you know, you got a lot of these Latin players who come and they've done, you know, bat flips and do all this stuff. And it's something I, we've talked about this on podcasts before. I despise the unwritten rules of baseball. Now, bat flips, don't admire a home run too long. Don't take too long rounding the bases. Don't try and bunt to break up a no-hitter. You know, don't do all these different things and just, you know, the the tit-for-tat with the throwing at somebody. That might be about the only one you could see if there's intent there or not. But so many of these dumb baseball unwritten rules. Let the guys go out there and have fun. The NFL... For all the other terrible things the NFL does, it finally started letting these guys celebrate in the end zone and all these different things, which adds some fun to it. The NFL ratings have actually been up this season compared to last season. Also, I think the games have been better in the NFL this year compared to last year, but that's another argument, as we'll see as the season statistics come out there. But let the guys go out there and have fun, and Ken Griffey Jr. is the perfect voice for that. I loved watching Griffey play, and I love the stuff he does now, just all the, you know, being a great ambassador for the game. It's a great commercial, and they need to have that out and get rid of 
some of these just old codgers who are trying to protect the tradition, please. Things evolve over time. Get used to it. Let the guys have fun and let it just be a more fun atmosphere there. So get over that. Speaking of curmudgeons, Nick Saban uh, last week as well was upset about uh, student attendance as uh, at uh, Alabama games, especially as Alabama uh, beat uh, Louisiana Lafayette last week, uh, 56 to 14. It was an 11 a.m. kickoff there in Tuscaloosa, and students just they, they weren't uh, full there in the stadium, and he was upset about it. He said, uh, "This is what he said after the game. I can honestly say I was a little disappointed. There weren't more students at the last game." Uh, I think we're trying to address that. I don't think they're entitled to anything either. Me, personally, I think it ought to be first come, first serve. They don't want to come to the game. They don't have to come. But I'm sure there's enough people around here that would like to go to the games. We'd like for them to come, too, because they support the players. Essentially, probably talking about once the student block has decided, you know, they have a deadline for student tickets, and then once that surpasses, put it on to the fans and things like that. But, again, it's Louisiana Lafayette. And you're Alabama. You're destroying everybody. They'll still show up for the big games. And again, I've talked about this attendance and things. Attendance has been down of the course of all of football, especially in college football as well. As And I talk about this. I love going to Tennessee games. I try to go to one every season here in Knoxville. It's a great atmosphere. I love it. But, I mean, you look at how things are. Now, especially the way the Tennessee program is, I still love and support them as I talk about them plenty on this show. But you look at it's an all day thing just to go to one game. I mean, especially it's if it's a four o'clock kickoff, you got to be, you know, find a good place to park. And in Knoxville, that's not the best thing because, again, I just refuse to pay $20 to park in, in a you know fraternity house parking spot or anything like that, especially if I'm blocked in. And so, you know, walking to the game and seeing a bunch of the pregame stuff and then going to the game and then getting out of there with parking and everything like that. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here in my beautiful house. I've got a big 55-inch HD TV. I've got air conditioning or when it gets colder, I've got heat. I've got beer right there in my fridge that I can go get to. I can hang out and talk with my wife and just enjoy the game without being around a bunch of drunk schmucks all the time who don't know how to control their alcohol or have somebody throw beer on a guy because he's wearing an opposing jersey. So you can see where that is. But Tim Tebow, of course, the future college football Hall of Famer, he supported Saban, kind of going off here saying, as a student, you have done nothing to win those titles, okay? I'm pretty sure the students understand that, Tim. Uh, he spent a little bit of daddy's money. You know, some of these guys actually might have gotten there on their own merits with a scholarship, just saying. Uh, show up at a game and go to a school there. You say you're the best fans in college football. Well, you need to show up. And he said this on ESPN's first take. Again, it's Louisiana Lafayette. You're Alabama. You're blowing people out of the water. I'm sure Tennessee fans would show up to the Louisiana Lafayette game because it's a win, most likely. So there's a difference there. Maybe if Alabama scheduled a good non-conference opponent from a Power 5 school to come to Tuscaloosa, they might show up a little bit more for those games instead of Louisiana Lafayette. We'll have to see. I mean, don't even get me started when they have to play the Citadel the week before they play Auburn about the students showing up to that game either. So we'll see, of course, if the students show up to the Missouri game coming up this week for Alabama, which I'm sure they'll win by at least four touchdowns, if not five, at that point. So, again, 
talk about curmudgeons, Nick Saban is right there as well. A little bit of sad news here to wrap up the Shibbles and Bits segment. Uh, George Taliaferro, he was the first African-American player picked in the NFL draft in the history. Uh, he passed away uh, coming out today as of this recording on Tuesday at 91 he was a three-time All-American at the University of Indiana, where he led the 1945 Hoosiers team to a 9-0-1 record, the only team in school history to finish undefeated, a member of the College Football Hall of Fame in 1981, but he was drafted by the Bears in the 13th round in 1949. Uh, he did not play for that team. He went to play for another uh, football league that was around there at the time, uh, but he did play for, in the time at the NFL, the New York Yanks. Uh, the Dallas Texans, these are all old-school NFL teams from back in the day, uh, the Baltimore Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles. He played seven different positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, punter, kick returner, punter turner, and defensive back. Uh, played all of those in the NFL and took great pride in that. But again, a uh, again a, a, a pioneer of being the first African-American player to be drafted by the NFL uh, passed away today at the age of 91. And this last week, another great winner. We always love talking about great winners here on Modern Day Gladiators. Uh, John uh, Gagladari, uh, he passed away also at 91 this past week. He coached at the Division Three St. John's University in Minnesota. Uh, from 1953 to 2012. He is the winningest coach in college football history over all levels at 489-138-11. and 11. He passed uh, Eddie Robinson's all-time record back in 2003. He won four national titles there for St. John's University in Minnesota. Had a very interesting way in, uh, of doing practices. Now, of course, in Division Three, there are no scholarships. They all are part of the school. I mean, they might be there on academic scholarships, but they play for the love of the game as well there. Uh, but they have the way they do practices, no tackling, long, ca- no long calisthenic uh, sessions either, no whistles or wind sprints, and the captains were always the seniors. That's just the way they did it there. And he did it, and he won. Again, 489 wins, 1953 to 2012. That's a long time to be a coach. So uh, rest in peace. To George and John there, two great uh, members of the world of American football, and you guys will be missed. Hopefully your impact stays around for a long time. Appreciate you guys, as always, listening here as that wraps up shibbles and bits. But let's get into the ring, and let's talk wrestling, as always, because the WWE Super Showdown happened Saturday in Australia. It was a fun show. I liked it better than what they did at the uh, Saudi Arabia show at the Greatest Royal Rumble. Of course, the fact that you didn't have a 50-man Royal Rumble probably helped with that. Uh, The fact that it was a shorter show was about four, four and a half hours, which I thought time-wise was much better when it all comes down to it. Uh, Of course, the big main event of everything was Triple H beating The Undertaker, of course, with the help of Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker had Kane in his corner, which both guys got involved plenty in the matches. It was no DQ. Uh, The brothers, the they all posed at the end, uh, you know, just with all their hands raised. But then the Brothers of Destructions of Kane and The Undertaker uh, beat down Triple H and Shawn Michaels, uh, put them through tables and all that kind of, kind of stuff after the match was over. But that has set up uh, the Brothers of Destruction will face the reunited again, D-Generation X, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. That Saudi oil money buys a lot, including Shawn Michaels' retirement. Shawn Michaels, of course... 
uh, had been retired since he lost to The Undertaker in a streak versus career match at WrestleMania 26. But that, of course, has now gone out the window as Shawn will be back in the ring for the first time since WrestleMania 26. So a long layoff there for Shawn Michaels as he had stayed with her. But hey, Saudi oil money buys a lot. There have been rumors that the Saudis might pay like $20 million to The Rock to have a match at one of these Saudi Arabia events. This one, of course, is called Crown Jewel, happening November 2nd, as the WWE has to promote Crown Jewel. Of course, the Women's uh, Evolution pay-per-view, which is coming up in a couple weeks, and then Survivor Series is coming up as well at the end of November. So you've got all that going on. That's the big match, of course. Uh, going on in terms of nostalgia purposes, really, when you look at it there. Uh, Also, set up uh, is going to be something new for the WWE at this crown jewel, the WWE World Cup, which is a uh, eight-man tournament for Raw and for SmackDown competitors. Uh, The first one announced, he didn't even have to win a qualifying match to get in, John Cena, with his new haircut uh, and slimmed-down physique, Happened. Of course, he teamed with Bobby Lashley and beat Kevin Owens and Elias there at the Super Showdown. But John Cena is going to be in this tournament, along with Kurt Angle, who won a sham battle royal as the Conquistador. The battle royale was really set up for Baron Corbin to win, but Kurt Angle, hiding under the mask of the Conquistador, is a nod to his uh, friends Edge and Christian back in the day, uh, won. Uh, Some of the other things that happened, of course, they're still teasing an Ambrose turn on the shield as they beat the Dogs of War, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, and Dolph Ziggler, but then the Dogs of War beat the shield on Raw. Of course, the big thing coming up at Crown Jewel as well will be the triple threat match between Braun Strowman, the champion Roman Reigns, and the returning Brock Lesnar again, which again, I'm sick and tired of, but hey... Again, Saudi oil money buys a lot, so we'll take it, I guess, if you're the WWE. Uh, Also, big things that happened, one of the other, the best match probably of the whole card was AJ Styles tapping out Samoa Joe, uh, most likely to end that feud. I was really hoping that Samoa Joe was going to get his hands on that title, at least for a little bit of time. I really like Samoa Joe, I was hoping for that, Uh, but it looks like that's not going to happen. But AJ Styles, almost a whole year holding the WWE Championship, he will face Daniel Bryan at Crown Jewel there in Saudi Arabia. Uh, After Daniel Bryan, in a kind of a strange finish beating The Miz, it went about two and a half minutes with like a roll-up. I don't know if that was exactly planned, just the way it looked. It looked kind of confusing for everybody involved, but that's the finish they went with. We'll see again as I tape this. It's before SmackDown this week. We'll see what happens going forth, but that should be a fun match. I mean, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, they teased that at WrestleMania. They had a match before it was broken up with interference, but that should be a really fun thing to see if that's going to actually happen at Crown Jewel. Of course, on Raw last night, after the Bella Twins and Ronda Rousey beat the Riot Squad uh, there in Australia, they came back, and now the Bella Twins have turned on Ronda Rousey, I guess, to set up Nikki Bella versus Ronda Rousey, which I don't take that seriously. It's Ronda Rousey. I gave Alexa Bliss more of a chance to beat Ronda Rousey in one of these matches and more credibility there than the Bellas. But I guess you got to keep hyping total Bellas and total Divas, so you got to keep the Bella Twins involved somehow. So you got that. So, But again, I thought it was a really good show overall. Buddy Murphy, the Australian, getting the Cruiserweight Championship, I thought was a really nice touch there as well. 
Um, so it was all a really fun show and congratulations to all involved. Hopefully the WWE, I like what they do with these international shows. I just wish some of the hype for it didn't just, uh, overlap so much with all the other things that they're doing because it just gets confusing and tiresome and raw just seems to be a teaser for all of these shows. It's just exhausting. And even the three hours just seems exhausting, just covering all these shows and everything going on there. But I still love my WWE. I've got New Japan set up as over the weekend, of course, King of Pro Wrestling happened. Kenny Omega beating uh, Kota Ibushi and Cody Rhodes in a triple threat match to retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And that's going to set up now as uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi defended the rights to uh, contract to face whoever the champion was at Wrestle Kingdom. So that is now set. Uh, they're probably not going to have any title matches or anything setting up in the weeks leading up now and the months leading up to that. So that's pretty much set in stone. And the main event for Wrestle Kingdom 13 will be Kenny Omega versus the ace of the world, the ace of the universe, the once-in-a-century talent, Hiroshi Tanahashi, which I think will be a really cool match. It's also interesting that uh, Kazuchika Okada will not be involved in the main event for the first time in a long time, so we'll see where that goes. But that's all the wrestling news, and that's going to wrap it up for me on another great episode of Modern Day Gladiators. And again, just to finish up and let everybody know and remind everybody, I, your glorious host, Michael Shibley, will be at the Steam Carnival at the Muse Knoxville on Saturday, October 13th. It's from 10 to 4. There again, free admittance there at the Muse Knoxville. Got a bunch of cool science and things going on. Of course, I'm going to be doing play-by-play and ring announcing the Kill Switch robot battles with Knox Makers. So look for me there as we get that going underway. I love you guys. I'll see you next time. Appreciate you. Go Vols. Too sweet. Love you. Adios.